Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel O'Connor. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I've bitten a penny. I will buy the stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of Benzinga's Pre-Market Preps. Country Israel, Joel L. Conan, Dennis Dink. Uh, big day today. It is Fed Day. Finally, we'll get an FOMC meeting announcement press conference later on in the day. So we'll talk about how the market is positioning itself. Uh, ahead of that, also a very unusual thing that happened overnight regarding the Fed. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about earnings from FedEx, Adobe, Chewy, General Mills, a couple of ratings on our radar. And uh, CDW is replacing TSS in the S&P 500. Talk about that trade. Our guest today, Dan Foreman, Executive Director and Global Technology Sector Strategist at Olive Tree Financial. Dan will talk about Netflix, Shopify, Square, Twitter, and Apple with us at 8.35. So busy day on today's show. Joe, what's the word here overnight? Uh, we're in the red, Spencer, by five and a half handles. Uh, opened up 0875. That was the high tick. 09 even was the high from yesterday. Big level on the upside. Friday's close also right there. Pre-market low, 300.25. Just a quiet range. Uh, a couple lows from yesterday. The interday low at 93.50 from the day before. Then the daily low at right at that area. So there's a tight 16-point range we'll probably bounce around in this morning. Crude, back to reality here. Down 40 cents at 58.70. Supplies coming back online quicker than uh, people thought. Gold in the red by three and a half dollars at fifteen oh nine ninety. Silver in the red by nineteen cents at seventeen ninety five. And Bitcoin just hanging out ten thousand one hundred ninety five. Those are the futures down one ten. So uh, Spencer and Dennis, uh, did you see the uh, what CNBC was covering this morning for quite a uh, for quite a long segment? No. Uh, should charities be taxed? Is that what they were talking about? I saw that. Nope. No, okay. Dennis, you watch it. Mm, it's on mute usually, though. <laughs> What's uh? What were they covering? Country FedEx. Music. Country music. I saw FedEx nonstop. Oh, I, I did see a country music thing. Country uh, music. Uh, what, yeah. What's going on in the country music yeah. world? Ken Burns has a documentary, right? Is that it? Yep. Yep. What's the documentary about? The history of country music. Nice. Hey, did you know that all the Beatles were inspired by a different country music singer? Everything comes from country music. I'm telling you, we're taping it. We're watching it. I told it. you, I went to that Chris Stapleton concert, so I'm becoming a country music fan. It's it's oh. more... Tennessee whiskey. Joel, is this morning the first time you, you unmuted CNBC? <laughs> we, we keep, it's always on in the background, I, I, but uh, yeah, it is muted most of the time. 
It was always like that. We, remember, we, we learned that from the bright trading office, didn't we? <laughs> yep. It was always yep. muted. We had the squat go and listen to the S&P 500. Ben Lichtenstein calling it out from the pit. Your buddy Ben. Remember that? Yeah, and I actually had another buddy that was doing it too. That was um, yeah. Who was your other buddy? Because he even gave you a shout out. He's like Joel, are you listen. I remember when he was calling it out. We're like Joel, he's famous. <laughs> I can't I can't remember that guy's name, but uh, yeah, now the electronic market is uh, taking taking things over. He but... took it over. All right, so is this uh, Wednesday when Dennis just gripes about his long term portfolio yes. again, and I can yes. just go have breakfast? Yes. Okay. Want me to start griping? I'm ready to gripe. I have the gripe shoes on. Okay, go ahead. All right, the gripe shoes are this. Okay, we'll take you through the FedEx. Bought FedEx. I rebought it at the very low. And this was December, I believe, 28th or 27th, uh, like 152. That was after it had dropped the 60, 70 points. I threw it back in the long-term portfolio. Watch in the next three months go up to almost $200. So basically up 50 points in it. Then watch it over the next two months after that evaporate and go right back down to my cost basis at 151. Then watch it go all the way back up to 178. Then watch it come all the way back down to below my cost basis at 147. Then watch it go all the way back up to 176. Now watch it implode and go all the way back down to my cost basis again. This is the argument against long-term investing. So I was up 48 points. Then I was up, what is the math on the next one? 26 points, I think. Then I was up 22 points and now i'm up like two points so i've watched 48 points and 27 points and 22 points basically a hundred points worth of gains evaporate not that you would ever trade it perfectly and be buying the low and selling the high but it's kind of frustrating to watch your stock go way up and then give it back go way up then give it back go way up then give it back i mean i sense a pattern forming here i should be i guess selling this thing as it goes up so that's the argument against holding long term Thoughts, concerns, arguments. Uh, index, baby. Index. Indexes. Just index. You just can't index beat and you the don't market. have to worry about any of that stuff. Yep. Maybe that's why you should be doing the long-term portfolio. Just index it all. You know, you know you, what, what's, what is it that J.C. Pratt says? If you trade the averages, you get average returns. I don't mind average returns. <laughs> Maybe I should be shooting for average returns on my long-term portfolio. There's because, nothing you know, I'm a short-term guy. I, I kind of know what I'm doing on the trading side, but the investing side, man, I watched a lot of those uh, gains evaporate. So that is frustrating as a long-term investor. I guess Warren Buffett, he just, you know, shrugs that off and, and obviously continues to hold. But, man, this FedEx has given it back a lot, and it's given it back again here. Spencer, give us the details. All right, the EPS missed and their sales missed. EPS, $3.05 versus a $3.17 estimate. Sales, 17.048 versus 17 0.07 billion dollars and they cut their uh, full year 2020 guidance specifically citing uh trade tensions and the additional weakening of global economic conditions since their last forecast in june none of that sounds rosy nope down 19 points here this morning down 11 percent again giving back its entire gain for september in one foul swoop i don't know what to say I've got the stock still in the long-term portfolio. I guess I'm sticking with it. Stuck with it through all this hell before. Actually, it's been pretty good as opposed to uh, coming back down to my cost base there again. John Smith saying, am I going to hold through all the nasty downgrades that are coming? Well, they're not coming. They already came. How many people downgraded this thing? Quad. This 
quad downgrade. The quad downgrade. Thanks, analysts. Thank you. Thank you. You could have told me that yesterday. Maybe I would have sold. Thank you, analysts. Who's downgrading it? Oh, man. Okay. So we've got Deutsche Bank, KeyBank, BMO, and Stiefel. And, and Raymond James, to their credit, maintaining their outperform but lowering their price target to 175 Analysts chase price. Okay, we're not giving any of these analyst props for this call. All chasing <laughs> the price here once again. They can't downgrade when the fingers ran up 23 points, but they sure can downgrade it when it dropped 20 points. All right, so FedEx, obviously I'll ugly. Joel, what do I do? Uh, it's my long-term portfolio. I guess I'm sticking with it, but what should? What would you do? If, what would I do? Yeah. I'd dump it. Why? Why? Because it's just been down here too many times on the month. Eventually, it's just going down. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's going to trade. That's going to be one of these value traps that trades with a P of like three. Yep. Do, do you mind? Do you <laughs> the mind, P is like nine or ten. Well, listen. Listen. Do you mind seeing it go to uh, one one forty seven eighty two? Not after I just watched it drop from 200 down to one. That feels like nothing. Another seven points. Okay. All right. Well, that that that's very. That was your uh, your low from last month, one forty seven. Yeah, I could stomach that. Can I okay. stomach it down to eighty bucks? No, I wouldn't. It's I wouldn't like cool. that. I'd I'd be complaining a lot if it went down to ninety dollars. One forty seven, no problem. Anyways, wow. I don't know. Like it, it's it's frustrating as a long term investor. I try not to trade my retirement account. I threw the FedEx in the retirement account. And you're trying not to look at it. But I mean, this is the psychology of it all, right? Trying to separate trading from investing. And should you have, you know, certain stocks? I mean, is the story in FedEx broken? I mean, I still see a lot of FedEx trucks delivering a lot of Amazon packages. And I mean, maybe Amazon's eventually going to deliver all their own packages. And maybe it's going to be drones flying around where I can need FedEx trucks anymore. I bet you that's going to happen maybe. too. Maybe. But I still see a lot of FedEx trucks uh, floating around here right now. So maybe you know, FedEx well, is going to have I, the I, drones. I wouldn't want to be a FedEx driver. Well, driverless cars are coming. Right. I have short FedEx drivers as well. Sorry, FedEx drivers, if you're listening. Okay. Uh, pre-market low. I don't want to be a taxi cab driver either, or even an Uber driver, because once we go full autonomous, when are we going autonomous? When do you think we're actually going to see everybody, you know, well, nobody behind the steering wheel on a regular basis? How far in the future is this? Spencer, how far in the future is this? Put everybody? your crystal ball. Look at your crystal ball. Tell me when we are going to get autonomous driving. My dad's interested. He's got glaucoma and eventually might lose his license here. So he's interested in knowing when are we going to actually see our car drive itself? Wait, you mean for, for everybody you mean? Yeah. For everybody? I don't know. A hundred years? No, oh, well, not for everybody. Right. When, when are you going to see? No, not for everybody. When are you going to see like the first? You're see, you okay. see him now. Yeah, but you don't really. I mean, even with the Teslas, you got to touch the wheel, whatever, every 30 seconds or whatever it is, just so okay, you know. So it, when it, are we going to be like comfortably, right. like, there's nobody driving that car and everybody points? When are they not going to point? Uh, are we eight years? Callahan says eight years. Is that far? 20 years, says Buy Apple. 20, I, I says 20 put, years. 20 seems reasonable. I think it's under 10. 20 Dude, Dr. J says 40 to 50 years. And I'm not saying there still could be people driving their cars, but, you know, like, remember Total Recall when they're on Mars and the, the yeah. robot picks them up? Yeah. <laughs> That's move. what we're talking about here. Uh, no, I, yeah. We don't need a robot because it, the car will drive itself. I, I, I think, uh, like, I mean, people still use VCRs, right? 
So I, I think you'd be surprised how long. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just uh, saying, when are we going to get the first ones, not the last ones? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's coming within the next five years. Oh, I think so too. I Me think and Joe are long. We're, we like the autonomous car idea. Yep. I like I the think... idea of just pressing the button and going to sleep. I mean, I have a five hour drive to my cottage. Wouldn't it be pretty awesome to just like, okay, we're going to drive tonight. I'm going to press the little, you know, auto drive button. I'm going to go to sleep. That's what I want. That is a luxury. Yep. I'd say five years, I think 10 years for, I mean, you know, highways are a little bit different than, um, you know, the, you know, the roads, you know, the in infrastructure of cities and stuff, but definitely, definitely five to 10 years. But uh, when there's no cars, I don't know. Uh, um, let's see, I'm 55. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. So, so I, I, I guess the question is how long until you can be on the highway, look to your right uh, or left, see a self-driving car and not be surprised or – That's going to happen or, or Or pull off to the side of the road <laughs> because you're scared. <laughs> right. Not be scared. That, I think, 20 It's common. It's common. All right. Anyways, this is probably a Jason Rasner question, so we'll save for him. So anyways, think about that. Autonomous cars, what does that mean going forward? We're short. We started with FedEx, shorting FedEx drivers because of the autonomous yeah, cars. Yeah, yeah. One of the, another tangent. one of our bad tangents. Pre-market low, 152.15. Uh, that other low, 147.58. Uh, you know, let's see what happens at the pre-market low. Psychological number, 150. Uh, if you're looking for resistance, 155.80 is your high since the low. So this has bounced back off some bad reports before. Let's see if we can do it again today. Well, what about UPS here? Uh, UPS, I mean, that just seems to be its own animal here. Down 373, but how many times have I seen this? It's, you know, they hit it and they come back. Uh, UPS is trading at the lows of the pre-market session, 118.60. Not a lot of not a lot of support in here in FedEx. Uh, oh, I do see a low 118.44. So you need to hold in there, or else I think you'll be in the 115 area. Well, not 116.19. But Dennis, you know, I mean, you know how these trade together better. Yeah, We've, it's I typically three to one. When you have a big move, so when the leader reports, usually the laggard with that other, and when they have a direct peer like UPS, it's usually three to one. So it means for every 10% move FedEx moves, UPS usually moves 3%. So if we look, it's a little bit light right now because FedEx is down more than 10%, UPS only down 2.77, but it's not fair. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of my rule of thumb. I mean, there's no textbook on this stuff, but I kind of do track it. So okay. that's why if I'm putting a hedge on into an earnings report, let's just say for whatever reason, I was nervous about the FedEx report, I would short, you know, if I had a hundred grand worth of FedEx, I'd need to short 300 grand worth of UPS to be hedged. That's what I'm saying. That's a big size position. So maybe it was nope. more reasonably nope. say 10,000 to 30,000. Okay. You know, three to one world on that one. So I, I would think it could fall a little bit further, but it's, I don't think it's going to fall to like 110 today. Okay, uh, Abner's boys in the doghouse. He he bought Chewy yesterday, not realizing it was Chewy. earnings day. Uh, Come I've on, done that Abner. Come on, the pro. Do you listen to the show? What do you do? I've done that before. <laughs> I just did it with Oracle, although it wasn't earnings day. They just know. made it earnings day. Anyway, yeah. I've done it before too. I've had it. I was like, that's due to report. I'm long that stock. Ah, it's always, it always works against you too. 
right. Uh, chewy numbers here. The Q2, uh, let me see. The Q2 sales, $1.15 versus $1.11 billion. The guidance that they gave uh, was was okay, actually. The, the, the Q3 sales guidance was above the estimate. The full-year sales guidance was in line. Um, I didn't look at the chart at all to see what it was doing. This uh, is holding up. It's holding 29. So as long as it holds 29, it can still bounce. So that's the good news here. Um, it has you know, traded a little bit of stock in the 29 handle. I don't want to see it below 29. And because obviously 29 is the all-time low. And I always say when stocks make new all-time lows, you got to go. So if I was long this thing, and I'm not, but if I was, I would definitely want to hold 29. And you got to give it a little room. Like it goes 28.80 or 28.90. I mean, sometimes you get the dip under, hit a few stops, and then rally back up. But it's like 28 and a half and starting to get below that, I wouldn't want to own it. So 20, basically 29 is my stop out. Uh, they like something in the report at first and they took it up and then they took it down. They took it down to 28.57. That's my level, 28.57. I threw my stop at 28.50 if I was long it. So Man. giving a little bit of wiggle room. That would be from a swing trade perspective. So if but I'm buying remember- it here at 29.60, I'm basically giving it a buck. What what didn't Slack have a, like a crazy day, like when uh, it opened lower? Oh, it got it was way up, then it got killed, then it came all the way back, and then it got killed again. So it was wild. Yes. Okay. So that's you know that's what I'm looking or, at. Let's see. Uh, if you want a number on the uh, upside here, I'm sure a lot of people would like to see that close. Oh, we're twenty nine forty. No, excuse me. That was the uh, that was. Thirty forty three. If you want to get uh, back to scratch on that, thirty forty three was the closing price from yesterday. Thirty ninety two, the high. Two more earnings stocks. One more from last night is Adobe. It rallied significantly on the initial number. That was a head fake. Got up over two hundred ninety dollars, and then they pulled the rug out from under it, and it tanked. But trading down eight bucks here right now. Give us the details, Mister Israel. Q3 EPS of $2.05 versus a buck 97 estimate. So beat there. Sales 2.83 versus $2.82 billion. So nice Q3 uh, headline numbers there. Q4 adjusted EPS guidance missed by five cents. Two and a quarter is what they guided. $2.30 was the estimate. Sales a little bit light, 2.97 versus $3.03 billion. So a little bit light on that Q4 guidance. Good on the Q3 numbers. Joel thoughts this after hours action. Oh, we're off the low. I mean, I don't know. They took it up to 292 and change, and then they took it all the way down. That initial, like, move so often this earnings season, especially when it's been higher, has been faded. So, I mean, there's been a trade there, you know, fading those spikes on these earnings. If I feel like it's two out of three times that they spike up initially and then they dump. So, obviously, the other one keeps going. So, how do you know which one is that's going to be? But. Anyways, it's been it's been kind of the theme this earnings season is fade the pops. Okay, and uh, you're off the low. They took it all the way down to two seventy one seventy. So there's your support two seventy one seventy. Your resistance is going to be two seventy eight eighty one. That was the high after the pop. So there's a predicted trading range here in the issue. Uh this two seventy one seventy. Oh boy, oh boy. What do I see here on the dailies? Um I see a 271 low and then a 268.31 low. So if 270. You, 
Yeah, 270. Just call it 270 on that one. Uh, real quickly, uh, let's see. Uh, Zach, who's getting his one question answered today. Uh, Boston beer shares traded lower following Nielsen data, which showed combined beer sales were up 25.7%, but that was below a forecast of 12-week sales growth of 27%. I was about to answer his question in the chat. So, yeah, so there was some data yesterday. Uh, beer sales were a little bit below estimates on a trailing 12-week basis. So I wonder if that included the beer sales from the Lions game on Sunday because if it included that how I'm much sure. were the, how much of the beers there this year i i i i had to, did they I, go I up again i didn't have a beer i didn't i didn't have a i no, didn't, didn't have a beer that. the line was so long i did see a margarita for 14.95 well what's next must be a That's good margarita no, i don't drink margarita I, no i'm not an afternoon drinker uh except on saturday michigan football games uh <laughs> <laughs> keep right, an uh, eye on the on you got to drink to watch michigan football it's the only way he'll get through it. <laughs> well, listen to you, you terrapin over there. All right, General Mills, General last Mills. one, GIS. Uh, this was this morning, the Q1 EPS, 79 cents versus a 77 cent estimate sales of $4.003 billion uh, versus a $4.08 billion estimate. So a slight sales miss and a slight EPS beat for the first quarter. They reaffirmed their full year organic net sales growth at one to 2% and their EPS growth at three to 5%. So reaffirming their guidance and essentially in line for the, the Q1 numbers. This was trading up ahead of the report last night. So somebody got the wrong memo on that one. <laughs> Stock is obviously trading down here now. I don't know. I mean, the way Kraft Heinz has got, I'm scared of all these food stocks because all the other ones have held up pretty well. And obviously Kraft Heinz is own animal. It's got its own issues, but I, all these stocks don't, aren't really that cheap on a, you know, on a valuation basis when you're really looking at them. Yes, it has a nice dividend, a 3.68%, but I don't own any food stocks because I just don't think see the growth there. A lot of these have come back a long ways from the lows. I mean, this stock, put in perspective, was $36 in December, $55. Now it's 53 here this morning. So if you think you're getting it cheaper at 53 no. Not really when you're comparing to where it was at the end of last year. So I'm thinking no no thank you for me on General Mills. Let's see here. Uh, they whacked it pretty good uh, into the 52 handle, 52.28. Uh, you, have, you have bounced above that, but it's all about 53 to me. I see a 52.87 low. Uh, that was in – when was that? That was in August August 29th, he had the 52.87 low, and I just don't like it under that because you have that big green candle that opens up in the 51.98. So if we don't hold 53, looking for 51.98. That's below your pre-market low. And um, I don't know, this one's kind of wild. So I don't know, probably no size in there coming off the open. Just hanging here. We'll see. We'll see if we can hold 53. That's your earnings. Now we have some other uh, stocks here. We should talk the Fed here too because we haven't talked sure. about it yet. Some point. And obviously, it's Fed Day, and we are seeing the TLT rally ahead of this. TLT is trading up 70 cents. We know that's probably bad news for the banks, at least here this morning. All that's going to matter is what happens at 2 o'clock, though. Obviously, the banks don't want to see higher rates, so they want to see. And, and this is a coin flip here now. Talk about these odds, Spencer, that you were looking at overnight. 
Right. So I said last week it was what 80%. Yesterday I looked at the CME Fed Watch tool, which is based on the Fed Fund futures. It was 68%. This morning I checked 58% chance of a rate cut. So we are getting more and more to a to a complete toss up here with regards to whether or not they'll cut today or keep keep rates as is. And of course, the 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 big thing coming out today is not so much what they decide for current rates, is what they say going forward with regards to future rate cuts and the dot plot. So we'll find out at, at two o'clock. Also, interesting sort of side note uh, overnight that the Fed had here. So due to a confluence of events, uh, the Fed had to jump into the repo market, which is the overnight market in which banks lend uh, and borrow money to and from each other. The Fed had to go in last night and inject 50, what was the number, $53.2 billion into the market. There was a $53 billion shortfall overnight in the money in, in in the in the repo market so there wasn't enough money to go around due to a treasury auction and some tax bills that that came through and, it, and the, the fed hasn't had to go in and inject money into the overnight repo market since bear stearns and lehman brothers now it's not as ominous as that may as that sounds it's just a very unusual event and it's very weird that it happened today of all days the day of a potential of another rate cut. So and maybe that's the reason for a little TLT rally here this morning. It's very, um, it's very unusual. that, that One happens. thing to consider on the banks is they've had a pretty good run. So could there be some profit taking ahead of it? It's what we're kind of seeing this morning here a little bit. I mean, you just go through JP Morgan made new all time highs three days ago. That's incredible considering how much of an underperforming the banks have been, but Citigroup rallied from $61 last week of August to, you know, middle of September was 70. So we're talking about, you know, a tidy little 10% run here in Citigroup. Bank of America, same story, up about 10% in about three weeks. So these banks have had nice runs into this Fed decision here. Obviously very important for them. I think if they do not cut rates, maybe we see an initial pop obviously here in the banks. If we do see the rates cut, maybe you see a sell. Maybe it's as simple as that. Maybe it's going to be more about the language going forward, which yep. it often is. But in this case, you know, in, in the last Fed decision, we were like 98% chance they were going to cut. Here is like the coin flip. Like we don't know if they're going to cut or not. So it's a very important decision, especially for the banks, but also for the overall market. It's going to be interesting. Going to be some fireworks after two o'clock. We'll tell you that. Uh, I think they cut, but they're, they're not promising any more cuts. That's what I think. How that's, to what, trade that's what your crystal ball is showing? Yeah, uh, I, I, that's just what I, th I mean, I don't think they should cut, but I'm not on the Federal Reserve Board, but I think they're going to cut and say, you know, we're not even going to be data dependent. We're just going to just sit tight for a while and then Trump's going to tweet what a bunch of idiots the Fed is. And uh, we're due for some Trump tweets, aren't we? Has it been a while? Well, we get a lot of Trump tweets. I have them right up on my screen. It's continuous. There's 12 more here uh, just since last, well, uh, let, let me tell you, in the last... No, he, he means like market tweets. He... I know, but I'm just, it's funny he says that. He tweeted five minutes ago. He said, tweets, Terrence Williams, you can't impeach Trump for being a winner. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think we're doing... So the Twitter account goes continuously. It's just a matter we haven't had any market moving tweets in a while. So Joel, clarifying Joel's statement. Yeah. Uh, Texas Linda says 84% chance of a rate cut. Uh, it, it's moved. So it's moved down from those numbers. C yep. CME FedWatch tool, which I check, which is uh, at, at the CME Group's website, which is based on 
uh, movement in the Fed funds futures says 58.8% chance. So it, it, it was in the 80s. Uh, according to the Fed Watch tool, it is now uh, down to 58% chance. I don't think they're going. What about the brief? What, 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 this, what the, the briefcase indicator? Remember they used to always do that with Greenspan? Dennis, and have you're the, dating yourself. Remember the briefcase indicator? If it was a big briefcase, they were cutting. If it was a small briefcase, they weren't cutting. Remember that? The briefcase that was indicator? With, uh, that was with Greenspan. Was that Greenspan? Green, oh, Greenspan, yeah. yeah. Yep. We had the briefcase indicator. So yep. has anybody caught a look at Powell's briefcase? <sighs> Crickets. Nobody knows. No, no one okay. knows. Okay, tweet me or chat, or, uh, chat me. I don't know. If you noticed a big briefcase, let me know because I might just put on some bank shorts. Okay. <laughs> uh, there, Moving on. Roku. Let's do Roku. We Roku. Well, well, in the face of Shopify destruction yesterday, although Shopify held up while in the face of Shopify destruction yesterday. Shopify obviously doing the offering way down at 317 and a half, opened at 324 and rallied at one point up to 334. So the shrugging off the offering, which is a good sign. I mean, we were talking about that potentially being a floor. Um, the 317.50 was trading 321. So it never got down there to even test that floor and straight up. It's up another three bucks here this morning trading at 331. I don't know if there's a headline here or not, but Shopify has stopped going down for now, which is interesting. And maybe that means good news for Roku, too. Yeah, but, uh, well, Shopify's... Well, what's happening with Roku? Stop! What's going on with Roku? Roku's down I, I, five bucks. I'm looking. I'm looking. I see it. Talk to I, me, Spencer. Talk to me. We were talking so long, I didn't even know Roku. So it's not good news for Roku. Well, I'm looking. I saw that Guggenheim raised their price target, but that is... Well, it's got to be something else. What's happening to Roku? I know. I know. J-Pop's in. Netflix is selling off, too. Whoa, what's up? What's yeah, up? What's going on? Uh, no, no, Netflix is kind of flat. Yeah, that's not selling off to us, Ken. Uh, Sorry, we didn't, I was hoping for $10 down there. Come okay. on, Roku. Roku. I, I don't news, see news. We had a Guggenheim raise the price target. Right. I got to go hunting. I'm going hunting. Oh, oh, this is from Twitter. Totally unconfirmed. But what do you got? What do you got? I'll read it out. Facebook is rumored to be starting a streaming box. Totally oh, is that it? That's probably yeah. it. That, that competition would, that would hit the stock yeah because comp you know what and this is the thing about roku is the barriers to competition here are not that high so you know you see how well roku's doing why not why not so facebook tries to get in everybody's business. yeah what, what's with that they got currency a tv they're now? trying to do the takeout match.com yeah yeah you know that's what? what it is everybody's something talking about facebook me, something tells me things aren't going well at facebook why would you no, be going- no they're just trying to find they have to find new ways to make money so yeah they, get everything. they want to be like amazon they want to be in everybody's business yeah but why would you do like that, that if your business is going well because you want to make more money so you're getting more businesses or gotta- or you just got to kind of like you know just keep looking and you know throwing you know stab you know boom 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 but think about it if they didn't have instagram and they didn't have i mean traditional facebook Okay. It's not as popular as it was five years ago, the traditional like Facebook, face, the Facebook. So they obviously have to get in other businesses and they've done a lot of other things to keep it going. I mean, Instagram is probably their thing now, isn't it, Spencer? Isn't that like... Yeah, uh, Instagram is, is, is really big for them. It's a huge growth area. I want to go back to this. this, this yeah, thing. let's go back to this Roku. So, so Facebook introduced this thing. It's called Portal TV. It's a video uh, chat camera. It's basically an accessory for your TV. 
And through that accessory, you can, you can talk, you can video chat with people, but you can also, this is the key paragraph, it's buried in there deep. You can also watch Amazon Prime, Showtime, CBS, and other streaming device services through your Portal TV. That's exactly what Roku is. So it's buried deep in there, uh, this other functionality, but that's definitely going to hit. Uh, that'll, that'll hit Roku. Uh, it wouldn't, I don't know if it would hit Netflix that way because they do different things. Can you, can you watch pre-market prep on it? Not yet. No. Uh, you're oh. getting a bounce, folks. I got Where a number get I like to. One forty three sixty nine. That was your uh, your bounce area. Next bracket at one one forty three seventy. You have a daily low at one forty three thirty. That's your big number. After that, I'll I'll say one forty because that splits a pair of lows at one thirty nine and. 141 from August 26th and August 27th. So I'm looking here at the chart. I'm going to say the same number that 130. I'm going to say 139.53. That's the low of the move has to hold there. We've seen this happen before, you know, even with match match got hit initially. And obviously when the Facebook news and I'm talking way back and matches even bounced back from the recent news here too. These tend to be buying opportunities. The one thing, obviously, I'm, I'm still saying in Roku is valuation is just too extreme for me to jump in as an investing standpoint. But as a trade, as you get down the low of 140s, let's see. You know, you could try it at like, if it get down to like 141 or 140, you could try it and maybe stop out at like 138, 8.5 or something. Give yourself a little bit of room through that low because, like I said, they like to sometimes go through the low just a little bit and then bounce back. But I, I, I think if you get near that 140, you may bounce there. Uh, we're getting a couple people uh, reporting here that uh, live news Comcast is doing something too. Uh, Chili Trader says live news gadget on Comcast uh, streaming device from Xfinity, Xfinity Flex, uh, and then Peter Roke, uh, Peter C, I believe, says double whammy. Uh, Com- Comcast news too. So streaming wars are are heating up. Well, everything's going streaming, so we know that's going to be happening, um, and this guy, the streaming wars are going to continue, not only for the providers of the streaming content, for it appears for the, the nuts and bolts as well, which is Roku. So it looks like competition. This is going to be an area where everybody's exploring because everything's moving to streaming. I'm trying and the to... cable providers have to like look into this because it's their business that's under attack. So they need to look, obviously attack the streaming as well to protect their own cash cow. I'm trying to look to see when when the news uh, that that Facebook would launch their dating app in the U.S. when that broke. I want to see based on the match chart. I want to see. Yeah, say, yeah, that's a good based tell. on based on the match chart. It may have been like April of last year, uh, but Facebook dating launched in the U.S. like two weeks ago. So it like just it, it it launched globally last year, but it just launched in the U.S. I remember Match felt like ten percent that day that it, they announced that. And it obviously eventually did bounce back. Right. So right. now so the question, the, the one issue on Roku this. has is this Facebook ch- stock. is not moving on this. It's not moving up. It's no small one for them, Joel. It's too well, small for yeah, them. Yeah, this is not. Peanuts for them, but not for Roku. Right. Okay. So uh, it, look, when you got a Facebook, a, a size of a company, uh, it's a small little thing for them. So Before we bring Dan surprised. in, just real quickly. We didn't even mention crude. <laughs> oh, what, what is happening with crude? We're getting crushed here again. And I mean, and I mean, after yesterday, well, not crushed, but crushed was yesterday. But we're getting follow through selling here again this morning. 
They said because they're, they're going to be back week. online, and plus all the that fr- was yesterday's news. Yeah, it's so. just follow through. I expect Crude to fill that gap, folks. That's what I'm looking for. Carter Worth said that too. Props to Carter on CNBC Fast Money. Sometimes gets it right, sometimes gets it wrong. But when Crude was way up at the highs, he told you to sell. We 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 kind of told you to sell yeah. too. So we're on the same side. I mean, I was saying, I, I flat out said, if I had any oil logs, I'd be selling the hell out of it. We were that rally two days ago. Yeah. So one day later, it's already a great, it would have been a great trade. I, I said I was too scared to short. Obviously, I should have shorted every oil stock because that was a ridiculous rally. Up, up 15% oil in one day, absolutely ridiculous. And he's already given half of it back in the next day. So okay. I think you're right. I think it eventually fills the gap. I think oil trend is still lower. All right. Eight selling oil spikes. I do want to bring on our guest today, Dan Foreman. He's joined our show before. He's an executive director and global technology sector strategist at Olive Tree Financial. He's worked on the buy side, worked on the sell side. He's been a, a tech specialist, a small cap specialist, Morgan Stanley, Wedbush. Now is at Olive Tree Financial. Dan, good morning. Are you with us? Good morning. Taking you guys off mute. Thanks How's for having me. How's it going this morning, Dan? I want to get your initial reactions real quick before we go into what we had uh, got on your list here this this Roku Facebook, yeah. you, you were dropping notes to me while I was trying to find stuff what was happening. Do you have a reaction yeah. to that real quick? Um, I, I do um, just in the sense that I was prepping for the Netflix quarter uh, yesterday for clients and wrote fairly extensive comments. And one of the interesting data points that had come out into a quarter that I had noted for my clients was this whole Facebook approaching Netflix to support device TV, which was broken by uh, the information. So um, I do think that's relevant to the news flow that's hitting this morning. Um, Not sure whether Netflix has any involvement. However, uh, was, you know, writing on Netflix specifically yesterday, uh, have spent quite a bit of time on Roku as well. Um, So my reaction to the news flow is sort of consistent with what you guys were suggesting. I think Match is a very good analogy. Um, Roku is, you know, very loved. So uh, you're you're sort of dealing with, like you guys described, I think an extremely expensive, very overloved, very overbought stock. So on a relative basis, I would be much more interested in Netflix right now. Um, I tend to be a bit more contrarian in my approach. Uh, I also think that Shopify is a much more interesting stock than Roku right now, especially since it's pulled in the way that it has. Uh, and, you know, they've been doing a couple of interesting things in terms of, you know, pricing a block and then, um, you know, coming after this fulfillment opportunity. Uh, you know, that's a stock I've been writing on since it was 40 uh, quite constructively. Uh, I've been constructive on Roku, but I've also been, you know, very tactical with that stock, both bullish and bearish along the way. All right. So you just mentioned Shopify here, I believe. Let's talk about Shopify. We've been talking about this one on our show for a while. Dennis, yeah. Lee- Dennis likes to get to the one Canadian tech stock, and he's Canadian. But uh, give us your thoughts here on Shopify. If you want to share a chart, feel free. But uh, tell us, tell us what to think about this. Sure. Um, so Shopify is a stock that um, I initially started following in 2016, um, and what really got me very excited about the stock was the Shopify Plus theme. So Shopify started talking about the fact that they had brands like Nestle 
working with their Shopify Plus product. And um, when I hear something like that, uh, you know, my, uh, my antenna turns up, so to speak. Um, I go into high alert because, in my opinion, if you have a large multinational company like Nestle utilizing a, a service from Shopify, which most investors were sort of thinking at the time is kind of an SMB-exposed play, SMB meaning small medium business, uh, you know, that kind of changes the trajectory of the business if large global brands are looking to use the technology. And, uh, you know, I see that as sort of a, a validation of the technology. Um, obviously, sitting here as uh, an analyst or, you know, not an analyst, but a, but a, a tech specialist following all of these companies, I'm not an engineer, so I'm not going to vet the technology itself. Uh, but, you know, my, my goal is to help my clients to make money, and that was a very meaningful data point for me. Um, the other thing that really also, I think, helped uh, Shopify to re-rate, which I had been um, early in terms of just discussing with my clients, was this opportunity to, uh, you know, sell um, – for lack of a better term, CBD type products. Um, so, you know, you had uh, third party uh, market uh, sizing firms sizing that TAM as multiple billions. Uh, so as Shopify was beginning to, I think it was uh, the province on, of Ontario that Shopify struck a relationship with exclusively, uh, you know, that struck me as potentially a, a very interesting opportunity for investors to look at Shopify as entering a very large new TAM. Um, and uh, as I'm sure you guys understand, when you enter a new TAM, you've got the opportunity to think that the stock uh, has a lot more uh, opportunity in front of it. So um, that, I think, is a big reason why Shopify has, frankly, re-rated. How do you think about uh, just like, buying the stock right now, though, right? I, we've talked about this long ad. So, sure, maybe it has a new whole addressable market, and maybe the, fun the fundamentals are sound, but... Yeah, it's hard to look at a chart like this and, and say I want to buy this when it's it's had the run that it's had. So how do you yeah. navigate? I'm gonna try to share valuation, my screen. Valuation with I'm gonna try to share my screen so you can see sure. uh, what I'm looking at on Shopify. Tell me if you can see that. So that's the uptrend that the stock has been in that I've been watching for a long time. It's not perfectly drawn. Um, so yeah, the tone in the stock has changed. Um, I think there's further execution risk here than there used to be in light of the fulfillment build out, right? The fulfillment, the, the fulfillment network build out. So they've told you they want to spend a billion dollars to build that network out. They've uh, recently done some M and A, um, and so these data points do test, I think, the bull case in the sense that it's an expensive stock. So uh, there's no way to get around that nature of the stock itself. So, you know, as an analyst or portfolio manager, when there's something that comes along that could possibly change the story, you have to then potentially reevaluate. I personally think with Shopify, the best thing you can possibly do is stay focused on the long-term bull case. But I can't argue that the execution story has had an incremental amount of risk attached to it in light of the fact that they want to build out a global fulfillment network, right? That there's just execution risk attached to that stocks discount execution, in my opinion. And when managements do a really good job of beating and raising, 
like Shopify has done. Every quarter is a public company practically. Um, you know, the beats have gotten a bit smaller as a percent, but they continue to deliver upward revisions. You know, that's why the stock has done what it's done. And I think that's likely to continue. The thing that could potentially derail that would be, oh, sorry, you know, this is going to cost us a lot more than we thought. Questions from our chat here. Are they taking a share from Amazon? Um, I actually, over time, um, sort of as I got closer and closer to sort of the class of stocks that I like to kind of discuss is sort of seller services theme stocks, which I lump together, Square, Shopify, and Etsy. Um, I sort of see those stocks as having really been taking a lot more share from eBay. So as I got closer and closer to these companies, I, I kind of realized maybe, you know, this was a bear case on eBay more so than Amazon. Um, so I, you know, I don't know, to be frank, you know, in terms of is is Shopify specifically taking share from Amazon? I would hazard a guess, sure, but I think Amazon is such an unbelievably uh, strong company uh, that I think that's a little bit more noise as relates to Amazon than anything. I think it's a little bit more uh, an eBay dynamic. You mentioned Square that came up on our show yesterday. I think yep. I think the consensus among the three of us is that we like Square, or yep. we like the opportunity. But tell us what your research has showed you from Square. Yeah, so um, so consistent with Shopify, Square kind of was something as is, is a company that I started paying closer attention to around that same time. Um, and as I was going through transcripts, I realized that there was a similar dynamic at Square. Shopify and Square seem to be attacking the commerce opportunity from a very different starting point. Um, and as time as as time has um, you know, uh, past. Uh, it's my opinion that Square and Shopify are slowly coalescing in the same direction, uh, and I see them increasingly becoming competitors. In fact, uh, I believe uh, one of the brokers is doing a product demo today uh, for Shopify's new uh, hardware product. So, um, as you are, you guys are all aware, um, Shopify is coming to market with a Square-like competitor on the hardware side, whereas Square has done some M&A to attack the e-commerce opportunity by um, buying an asset called Weebly. So, um, but Square, I think right now, the way that I see the stock, and I did write a very detailed note on this company um, about. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I want to say the stock was 60 uh, before it went to 66 and sort of failed uh, the downtrend that it's been in. But um, Square, I see as much more actionable, to be honest, uh, much more interesting, much more exciting, much more out of favor, much more complicated, and therefore, um, you know, creating uh, more opportunity in the stock uh, from a from a tactical perspective. It's 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 less favored. Um, which makes it harder from a trader perspective, in my opinion, because it's not going to get that sort of intraday follow-through that you might get with a Shopify, um, just because right now, in my opinion, Shopify is fully appreciated as the anti-Amazon. Um, so uh, Square is more interesting to me. I like it more. Dan, uh, this chart is freaking me out here. Can you explain exactly what what this chart is showing? Yeah, so so um, I have a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on my chart. So, um, but what I was watching most recently, if I zoom in here for you guys on this little pattern here, was I was concerned that maybe it was going to break down, um, and sort of 
I thought the implied target was a couple of bucks. So I sort of thought maybe 57 low. Uh, we hit 55.91 and we've bounced. Um, so, so far the stock has kind of been trading uh, somewhat in line with what I've, I've been watching. This overall pattern here has had me a little bit concerned that maybe we could make a big double bottom down to 50 that maybe there's risk to 50, but the risk reward at 55 gets really interesting if you're a long-term fundamental investor and you're thinking, you know, five down and potentially, you know, you, you tell me what, you tell me what uh, you think the right price target is on Square, but, uh, you know, the average target's 75. So you're looking at potentially uh, 25 up, five down if you agree with that dynamic in Square at 55. So anyhow, so that's kind of how I'm thinking about that stock. Uh, and I think the debate on the stock right now has been focused on uh, a couple of things. So, you know, they, they, they had a new CFO come in, and ever since the former CFO left, the stock has been in distribution mode. I think that's a function of institutional investors maybe really love the former CFO, and, um, you know, maybe they need to, you know, readjust their view in terms of what might a new CFO bring. I wouldn't suggest that the, the stock's distribution is a function of institutional investors not liking the new CFO, but rather it's a change. And when change happens with high multiple stocks, then you know this can happen and the stock goes into a distribution mode. So um, the company presented at a conference very recently. I, I listened closely to what they were saying. I'm hoping to actually go visit with the company uh, at their headquarters in the near future, possibly uh, as early as next week. Um, so I may have uh, the opportunity to sit with the company. But um, you know, if you look at the upgrade in the marketplace today, uh, effectively what an analyst is arguing is that their below consensus numbers have now been priced, and that the bear that the buy side is kind of uh, looking at a set of expectations that is consistent with their below consensus numbers um, and that this uh, presentation at the recent conference that they attended discussed the fact that the business is going to be experiencing some reinvestment. I'm a big bull on Square in the long-term opportunity, so if you have that view, then I see investing in the business as a smart thing not a negative. So I like the fact that they're investing in the business. It got a little complicated, however, when they told investors on the most recent call that they were going to exit this caviar business because it pulls revenues out of the seller services line and therefore the highest margin part of the business and the fastest growing part of the business, which therefore becomes a difficult to handicap outcome in terms of how much revenue needs to be taken out of the model for this. Why are they doing this? So, that's been incrementally, uh, I think, better understood as the company's been talking and discussing the fact that they're exiting caviar in order to reinvest in the businesses. A question from our chat here. Any chance Square would get taken out here or acquired by somebody somehow, somewhere? Um, I think it's a very strategic asset personally, but I don't want to you know, speculate on okay. who might take it out. Uh, okay, that's enough on Square. Uh, great answer. I want to talk about Twitter here. We, sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess what can you say about Twitter? 
So this is a stock that I've kind of remained very bullish on for a very, very long time. Um, And I just see Twitter as an asset that's here to stay. The balance sheet is pretty ironclad. There's a ton of cash um, and they generate cash. So it's taken a long time for uh, this stock to work. It recently broke out. Um, You know, this little window of time in here, I was advising my clients that maybe the Citibank uh, tech conference would be a catalyst for the stock, and it, and it did break down. It's recently been pulling in, so I'm watching this uptrend here, and I'd like to see the stock regain that uptrend. Um, I've put comments out to uh, my client base on um, what I think is, uh, you know, the setup into the quarter, since that's effectively what I think is the next event for the stock. Um, I have a I have a bull case that's predicated on a couple of different things. Um, and I think the marketplace is increasingly clear on this bull case. So you've seen this mix shift to video. It became a bigger, it became greater than 50% of their advertising line, which is driving improving click-through rates and driving better cost per engagement. So the cost per engagement line has been on a steady uptrend for like eight quarters. Um, and actually, I've written on this, and if I could show it to you visually, I should have had it ready to show you. Uh, but if you go through their filings, you will see in their filings, they visually show you that cost per engagement has been in like an eight-quarter uptrend. It's gone flat as of the most recent quarter. The company will tell you it's not something that they uh, actually run their business to. Uh, it's an output, not an input. But nonetheless, it's been something that has been uh, a focus for me as I discuss this particular stock with clients. Um, and also, I think they've done a great job of reinvigorating North America. They've been putting up accelerating growth rates in that market, uh, so they're doing something right. Um, it's my understanding that when um, the company refocused uh, the business, um, and I may I may not be correct in the following statement, but I believe it was uh, maybe Jack Dorsey had sort of come back to the business that they started showing some uh, better uh, monetizable DAU metrics, which is the metric that the company is disclosing now. Um, and after a few quarters of that metric beginning to improve, advertisers started taking note, and that's why we've seen that reinvigoration of the North America revenue line. Um, but high level, I also think what's very important to remember about Twitter is that 80% of the users are international, and it's only 45% of revenue, and that's a long-tailed opportunity to monetize that international customer base. Hey, Dan, uh, our uh, listening audience is really enjoying your input. Um, I just have one question for you. How did you go from being a lawyer in law school and graduating law school, the very good Mm -hmm. law school, Fordham, Mm -hmm. uh, to the financial markets? Huh, interesting question. Um, So uh, I was uh, obviously going to law school in New York, um, and it was 90 three that I started law school. Um, and as uh, you may be aware, in New York, uh, there's a lot of professionals in the financial services industry. Uh, I lived in a building where there was someone who was an institutional equity salesperson who had been a lawyer. Um, and I started asking some questions. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with institutional equity sales, Uh, you're effectively selling your firm's investment research. So you know a little bit about a lot 
You may have a call in consumer that you want to market to your client base. You may have a call in healthcare that you want to market to your client base. And you're the customer facing relationship person. I did a bunch of due diligence, had a lot of informational interviews and eventually made a concerted decision that this was what I wanted to do with my career. So um, through, I think, sheer force of will, I was able to eventually break into the business. It was a very tough uh, transition to make. Um, and over time, I specialized in technology. Um, I think, as you guys mentioned at the beginning of the show, I, I had been at Wedbush and did very well. Um, got picked up by Morgan Stanley, was a small cap specialist, which meant I, I focused on $3 billion and under. Uh, but I spent a lot of time in small cap tech, and um, I worked for a guy who ran the specialty, specialty effort at that firm and who was the lead tech sector specialist. And since I was showing um, you know, very good stock advice in tech uh, gave me the opportunity to become a tech specialist. So that's kind of how my career played out. All right. Dan Foreman, as I mentioned, is executive director and global technology sector strategist at Olive Tree Financial. Great insights, great research. If you want Dan's research, Olive Tree Financial is his firm. All you've done in the past few minutes, Dan, is making you realize how little I know about anything, but that's okay. Uh, great insights, Dan, and thank you so much for the time today, and we will definitely get you back on the show. Okay, sounds good. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, 8.56 here. This is interesting here. So I just saw this headline come through that the Federal Reserve is expanding uh, their overnight uh, intervention into the repo market. There were $80 billion in bids for $75 billion in accepted uh, repos overnight. So there is some weird liquidity things happening in the overnight repo markets. I don't know enough about that to say what it could mean for trading or anything beyond right now, but it's, it, this, is, this is unusual, highly unusual, very strange. We'll see how it shakes out. Uh, I I just say TLT is rallying here this morning, probably a little bit to do with that. And banks are selling off here this morning. So obviously the Fed decision is all it's going to matter after two o'clock though. So we got three minutes here. We never got into any ratings. There wasn't a lot of upgrades. I did see Square. We were just coincidentally talking about it caught an upgrade at Craig Hallam here today to neutral. I did buy more Square in my long-term portfolio yesterday. I talked about it, re-added the stock that I sold. So I'm back full position size and square in the long-term retirement account. Uh, yeah, that's the only upgrade. And then we talked about the FedEx downgrades. Not uh, Whirlpool also caught a downgrade this morning from bank yeah. to neutral. Travelers is downgraded. TRV. I saw that just go by while you guys were talking. That was actually, from Bank of, actually, Bank of America. Yeah, KeyBank is actually down uh, downgrading Whirlpool, Stanley Black and Decker, Lennar, and FedEx this morning, all to sector weight. Also, Blackstone getting a downgrade from City on valuation. That's BX. So there's a few ratings here this morning, but it was a quiet night o overnight from the from the analysts really here. So two minutes go and balances. Quick look, GE every single day, 188,000 to sell here in GE this morning. Uh, other ones that stand out, AT&T, which caught a downgrade from DZ Bank. Um, not hugely influential, but moving the stock this morning. It's got 100,000 shares to sell. Uh, FedEx, 52,000 to sell, which obviously off the earnings report, it's probably going to grow. I don't really see any standout. Visa, I do see 31,000 to buy. And that's just interesting because you're having a down, slight down day, so that's moving against the trend. But from imbalances, they're pretty small. 
And D.A. Davidson had a, a retail note. They say uh, American Eagle is a buy, and Abercrombie and Fitch is initiated at neutral from D.A. Davidson. All right, 8.58. Joel, any final thoughts today? Joel, you're on mute, though. We got uh, uh, he, has, he hasn't done it for a long time. Okay. We should cut him some slack. Here we go. Wait, try that. Nope, Joel, unmute yourself. There we go. I'm here. I'm here. You hear me? Oh, yeah, we got you. Okay. Uh, Spinner pointed out U.S. housing starts at a 12-year high. Now, that brought the spoos off the lows. I'm looking at the XHB. That's looking, that chart's looking nice. I'm looking at TOL, uh, Toll Brothers. That chart's looking nice. And this, been breaking out. This, this kind of plays into my theory here of what the next driver in this great bull market's going to be. Well, think about it. if we still are going to low interest rates or potentially negative rates, I mean, like the rest of the world, what benefits more than the housing sector there you from go. lower rates? I mean, this is what has driven the housing bubble for the last decade. And obviously, you know, it imploded during the financial crisis, but the bubble in most places has come right back. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the, 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 house, the housing stocks are direct beneficiaries of Correct. lower rates. So maybe we're starting to see that. Uh, I mean, it's going to matter today here. Obviously, they're moving the exact, you know, they're going to move the exact opposite, I would think, of the banks, which don't want lower rates. But the housing stocks do want lower rates. But so, KB Holmes breaking out. Lennar is kind of looking. If it ever got above 55, Lennar would get interesting. That's not a bad setup there. I know Steve Grosso pumps it all the time on CNBC Fast Money. Um, maybe eventually it's going to show some life if it gets above that 55. But you're right. Toll Brothers is broken out. Uh, DHI, it's kind of hanging out just below 50. I mean, some of these look like they could continue the run here it's going to matter to the fed decision today yeah well also just long term you know just uh, look at when when young spencer gets married and stuff and these millennials start buying houses right how many residual positive effects are there on the economy you know maybe not building but buying new houses fixing up your home depots your lows um there's a lot of a lot of residual effects here from uh you know from the lower rates in the in the housing market and if these uh eventually these kids are going to figure out that you know one of the best investments you can make is you know buying a home and uh i guess it's what time you do it and you know overpay or not overpay and that's the problem I mean, is everybody's got to really overpay i mean i don't know like it depends on your market there's definitely some markets that have still remained depressed since the financial crisis back in 2008 and 2009 but i mean i look at these housing prices in in toronto and it's absurd oh my god toronto is one of the worst it's absurd i mean they can't find anything for under a million bucks you know you got if you got a 2000 square foot home on a piece of property in a suburb in toronto it's over a million dollars so and you just think like does that make sense maybe it does i mean when you look at you got to look at one other driver too my father-in-law, um, you know, makes a good point on this. It's, you know, construction costs. I mean, you've got to look. It's, it's a driver there, too. And construction costs have went up substantially in the last 20 years. It continues to climb. So as construction costs go up, obviously the houses that are out there are going to go up, too. Because if you're looking at, you know, building and it's 300 bucks a square foot and you got a 2,000 square foot home you want to build, it's 600 grand just for the housing. That's without the property. So if you can go buy, you know, a home in, in a depressed market, you know, for 400 grand, that's 2,000 square feet. I mean, you're beating the hell out of the construction costs. Obviously, construction costs matter market to market too, but it's not like it was, like I can remember, you know, 20 years ago, you could build for 100 bucks a square foot. 
And now, you know, 20 years later, it's over 300, maybe even 400 a square foot, just depending on your market. So construction costs drive it as well. But the, the one main driver of housing prices is interest rates. When interest rates are low, everybody can afford a bigger house. All right, Spencer, we covered the gambit today. You want to wrap things up and sure. preview yeah. Thursday show? Uh, I want to thank Dan Forwin for joining us today. Thanks to all of you in our chats on YouTube and premarket.benzinga.com. As far as tomorrow's show, a pair of guests on Mark Chaikin and Gordon Johnson. We've been finally able to nail down a date for him. He's at his own firm now. He will talk about his solar and steel coverage tomorrow uh, at 835. Uh, so that'll be for tomorrow's show. In the meantime, you can catch the podcast of our show or replay on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember all the information from our show meant to be used as informational purposes only and not for investing or trading advice. Any questions, comments, concerns, email us, premarket at benzinga.com. And that's it. So everyone have a great rest of your day. We will see you on Thursday. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.